Welcome to Africans Heal. We're here to foster a healthy African diaspora community and promote mental health awareness through storytelling and celebrating our cultures. We're here to heal together. Tupone Pamoja. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Africans Heal. My name is Christine Kasakwa, and I'm your host here on the Africans Heal podcast. I am really excited and honored about our guest today. Ever since launching Africans Heal, one of my goals has been to get Black therapists and healers on the podcast to shed some light on us and help guide us on our path to healing and mental wellness. Our guest today is Sheena Tubbs. Sheena is a licensed professional counselor with training in marriage and family therapy. She is the founder and coach of the organization Black Girls Heal. She also hosts the Black Girls Heal podcast. Black Girls Heal is a resource for Black, Afro-Latina, and multiracial women of African descent who are ready to heal from love addiction, unresolved trauma, so that they can improve self-love and build healthy, fulfilling relationships with themselves and others. Without further ado, welcome Sheena Tubbs. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. So I just wanted to start off by asking you what led you to decide to become a therapist and why Black Girls Heal? Yeah, so becoming a therapist, at first I wanted to be a child psychiatrist, which sounds like it's in the same lane as therapy. But what Mm -hmm. I learned about psychiatry is... Um, it's very much medicine focused and there wasn't a lot of time put into like processing feelings. And so when I was in my undergraduate career, I learned about family studies and I just felt like it was a really great container that talked about all the different ways that people are impacted and they learn and they grow from their culture to their family system, to the things that they learn. Um, so that is how I got into the path of marriage and family therapy. As far as Black Girls Heal, that's a longer story. I think some people, you know, they come right out the gate and they're like, this is what I want to do. This is the population I want to serve. And this is how I want to do it. And for me, it's very much been my story. And it's probably more common than not, but it's very much been my story that my life experiences and the things that I've learned are what brought me to Black Girls Heal um, to where I was like, okay, this this is where I really want to serve and, and help people grow. So thank you for um, sharing that. And Black Girls Heal has been definitely impactful for so many of us. I personally found Black Girls Heal after going through my second adult breakup and realizing that I was the common denominator in my life. So I listened to so many episodes and I took, um, I participated in the Mother's Day course that you held in May 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, your organization has been life changing for me and for so many other women. And it was just so refreshing when I found Black Girls Heal. Because it was so nice to see a Black woman who looked like me doing therapy and who was also so transparent and open about her own past traumas, which you share in a lot of your episodes. But then you lead them back to psychology. And for someone like me who was also blaming herself and the traumas can kind of lead us down a path of shame. It was nice to hear like someone's professionally speaking about these traumas 
which I deeply resonated with, especially the topic on love addiction and love avoidance. But at first, when I listened, I I wasn't ready and I felt triggered a lot. But I knew that what you were sharing was true and just what myself and so many other women who find themselves in cycles and patterns of similar relationship and friendship issues needed to hear. So with that, I wanted you to talk to us about what love addiction and love avoidance are, since you talk about those a lot in the podcast. Yeah, so love addiction is the persistent obsession of a person, a relationship, or the fantasy of who you want that person or who you want that relationship to be or what you think it could be and mistaking that obsession and that intensity for love. And, um, you know, when it comes to calling it love addiction versus puppy love or infatuation or lust, what makes it different for people who identify as love addicts is the amount of, I already used the word intensity, but it's the best for the amount of intensity and, and focus you put on to it because you're actually using this fantasy and using this relationship and using these people as a means of self-medication. And so where you may in other parts of your life be able to, to determine that something is dangerous to you or something is detrimental to you mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, because you're using love relationships, fantasy, or the hope that this person who's typically unavailable and um, and dysfunctional relationship is dysfunctional because you're trying to use it to heal. You do not create distance with it. In fact, you move closer towards it. You self-abandon. You go deeper. It causes more depression. It causes anxiety. Um, It just reinforces internal dialogues of shame and guilt as if you're the problem and there's something wrong with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been known to make women and men because men also struggle with love addiction, but they typically, men who struggle with love addiction, it typically more presents as um, more sexually charged behaviors because they're just more socialized to get love and affection through sex because they aren't really allowed to have emotions. But, you know, I focus on serving women, so I'll I'll stick to that. Um, But for, for women, you know, been known to be as mild and mild is putting it very lightly, but as mild as Losing work, getting physically ill, panic attacks to the extremes of even suicidal ideations. And when it comes to love addiction and feeling this way, especially us as black women, you know, we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be resilient. We're supposed to not let anything get to us. We're supposed to, according to popular culture, you know, just be able to move on through relationships and play him like he plays us. And especially if we're super accomplished and high functioning. And so feeling this extreme depth of pain, it is extremely shame producing because it's like, I shouldn't feel this way. And no one else is allowing you to feel this way. So that's love addiction. And then on the other extreme is love avoidance. And love avoidance is probably something that most people are, I don't want to say more familiar with, but it's one that I think is kind of easier to talk about because it doesn't really show the vulnerability as front and center. But with love avoidance, it is the persistent putting up of walls to avoid being attached to people or feeling emotionally overwhelmed by relationship. And mm-hmm. the way that this one works is sometimes it's really overt. So really, sometimes you are someone who just presents as, you know, I don't do people. I don't trust people. I don't want you to be around. And sometimes it's very um, sneaky. <laughs> sometimes we are love avoidant and it's hard for us to open up to people and be vulnerable, but we're really good at putting on masks, 
and playing the crowd and being there for other people. But no one actually gets to know us. And um, it's really hard for us to let us in, let other people in. And part of that is because of this fear that if I let someone in, that they're going to take something from me. Either they're going to take my power or they're going to take away my independence or, you know, you're just not used to letting people in in that way. And so it's just really abnormal. And so love addiction and love avoidance actually go hand in hand. Whenever I describe these two things, the next question people ask me, it's like, well, can I be both? <laughs> like I, I identify with both of those. And that answer is yes. In fact, most people, um, I would say probably like 90, 90% of the people who I serve identify with both because what it is, is both of these are just intimacy disorders because all this is just a trauma response because of unresolved childhood trauma. We will grow up not really knowing what healthy love and healthy connection looks like. We will try our best to rewrite our stories, to do our own self-work. But until we actually clear out these roots, we will subconsciously and automatically have coping mechanisms that may lean towards codependency sometimes and sometimes putting up walls with people that will keep them away. And so they are definitely both sides of the same coin. So I wanted you to kind of talk to us about the four types of love addicts. And um, after that, I, I wanted you to touch on that one episode where you talked about Christianity and religion and how those rules, they can kind of make people become more love avoidant or like kind of facilitate the love avoidant becoming just kind of living in that cycle, especially in the African community where a lot of people are raised um, with Christian backgrounds and we're taught to be like good girls and without realizing that we also have childhood trauma and that is just reinforcing us living out that love addiction and manifesting it in our lives. So I just wanted you to start off by talking about the four types of love addicts, just briefly sharing what those four types are and how they manifest. Yeah. So um, four types of love addicts that I teach about are the hopeless romantic, the codependent, the uh, um, serial monogamer and the fantasizer. So the hopeless romantic is exactly what it sounds like. It's someone who um, is in love with the idea of love and the fairy tale and the happy ending, which um, I always tell people when I teach this, that that is totally normal and healthy. And it's actually a good thing for you to want, have this desire to be cherished and adored. Like that is a human part. That's a part of healthy feminine energy. Like that's all fantastic. So the goal is not to become cold and not have this desire to be, um, to be pursued and cherished in that way. However, when it, when we talk about this in the context of love addiction, the hopeless romantic would be so in love with the idea of who this person or relationship, what it could potentially be, that they'll ignore all the red flags. And um, they will they will create the same story arc that happens in fairy tales, that happens in, you know, in love dramas and romantic comedies and all that stuff where there's this big problem that that the main characters will um, overcome because love rules all and because ultimately they're meant to be together. When in real life, those red flags are bright and red for a reason. Um, and so, you know, a love addict will put themselves in danger in hopes of getting that happy ending. Um, the serial monogamer is someone who is typically not single, <laughs> at least mm-hmm. not for, for an extended period of time. It can look in the classic way where someone just always has a committed monogamous relationship that they are involved with or even polyamorous because the thing about serial monogamy or love addiction is that 
there's a difficulty with you being by yourself and being in relationship with yourself. And you may not have words to it, um, but there's just a comfort level of having someone else around, which again, and everything that I talk about to be connected and to be in love and to be in relationship are normal, healthy human desires. That is, if you are not asexual, that will always be a part of your life. However, when it is done as a coping mechanism and defense mechanism, then that's where we have to look at, okay, why is it so hard for you to be with you and with your own thoughts and with your own feelings outside of it being defined in relation to what your partner or partners also want. Um, Codependents are people who struggle with having boundaries and taking care of themselves without trying to save other people, without taking care of them first. A codependent's mantra is typically something to the effect of, I'm not okay if you're not okay. And so they'll do a lot of people pleasing and fixing trying to fix themselves or trying to fix the other person so that they can finally rest, but that's never enough. And then finally, the fantasizer are my ladies who are very much in their heads. And so a lot of times, you know, I've I've worked with enough adult women who don't really know that they can talk about this out loud, but they have a very active fantasy life and that they may have a whole world that they use to self-medicate and cope. And it builds a protection from being rejected and outside life. So it's, they may have fear of being rejected by partners, of going out for the career, the things that they want. And so they will actually think about the things that they want and um, not really go out for them because of that fear. And how about love avoidance? How can that manifest in relationships? I know like you gave that example about um, maybe growing up in church and waiting to be found, you know, and you're, we could be sitting there and we think that, okay, this guy will come and approach me. But little do we know that we're actually putting up so many walls and reinforcing just being more um, love avoidant. So could you talk to us more about that? So just for anyone listening, my podcast is called Black Girls Heal. And I talk more about what I'm about to share in the episode that talks about three mistakes made while mm-hmm. as a love avoidance, because I don't know if I'm going to do it fully justice um, today in, in this podcast. And I think that'd be helpful for, for people to know. I think it's like episode 100 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a hundred episode hundred. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I got to give full context for this. So when we think about love avoidance, love avoidance is really the difficulty that someone may have to show all of their cards in a relationship to show how much they like someone or to be vulnerable to them. And it can come from a lot of different ways. It can come from the examples I gave at the beginning of like just feeling empowered and or wanting to feel empowered and maybe very protective over your career and your independence. And so love avoidance in that respect will look like, all right, you don't really want to compromise as much with someone or the relationship has to go the way that you want it to go and they, the things that they have to say. And until that happens, you are not going to really relax and be present and be fully available in the relationship until all of these things show, Um, which can be very damaging to a relationship because that person doesn't actually get to know you. Um, They get to know this um, wall of you and they can feel that distance. They can feel that they constantly have to prove themselves for you to relax. And what will happen with that is you will push away people who really want to get to know you 
because you're trying to say, well, I'll let you in, but you got to do this first, even if that's not what, well, typically people will say that boldly out loud, but even, even if not, like your actions are shame saying that and a healthy person will be like, look, I love you or I want to be with you, but I can't get through this unless you're actually available. So there's that wall in that context. When we're talking about, or when I was talking about love avoidance and the aspect of Christian dating and the Christian world, I'm still talking about that concept of not really fully being able and feeling free to fully relax and be fully yourself and fully womanly and fully engaged in relationships with the opposite sex. Because, and this is just the assumption that we're talking about heterosexual relationships, of course, but Mm -hmm. um, you're not really fully able to do that because you have been taught that it is wrong to do that. So in the world of Christian dating, there is no dating. There's only courtship. Mm -hmm. So you do not hang out with someone of the opposite sex unless you're dang near sure that they are about to be your husband. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's no flirting. There's no like getting to know each other. There's no talking. And if you do do that, it's only in the context of group settings. And, you know, the pastor has to be involved. There's a whole lot of intensity on just being in relationships with people. And so that does a lot of different things. First, it doesn't help adults, men and women know how to have balanced relationships with people. So it totally feeds. I know you asked about love avoidance, but let's talk about love addiction first. It totally feeds into this fantasy of like when you meet someone, you have to you have to automatically go into, okay, is this my husband? Is this my wife? You don't really have the opportunity to really get to know them, to really know how to just relax and be yourself and to humanize them because they're automatically an object in a way as much as the the teaching and the guidance in this area is trying to help you not go there. It does go there because it idolizes the purpose of, of relationships for single people. So um, it feeds into love addiction that way um, where, you know, so if someone holds your hand, you, you are telling your girls like he's <laughs> the one you about to get engaged. Like <laughs> it's a lot for <laughs> these really small moments um, that are just can just be something casual mm-hmm. when it comes to the love avoidance part. So the other part of, you know, teaching around courtship and, and dating is that um, is that you have to be going back to the word asexual in a way where you do not show your cards at all, even when you're talking to someone because you don't want to fall into sin. AKA have sex, um, you have to be very um, um, prudish and very like set apart or whatever words you want to use, but you have to be pure in your dating intentions because if you're not, you know, you're going to sleep together. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really know how to lean into being present in the moment there too. You don't really learn how to flirt and engage and, um, and let someone like you without it being like, Oh man, like, he's looking at me that way, like that means that something bad is going to happen and you automatically shut your body off if you're, if you're following all the letters to the T. And so something that I've heard from a lot of my clients and um, even in my own personal life, but because you don't really learn how to, and you're taught not to, you know, let somebody else know that you like them because the man is supposed to pursue you first and you know, you're just supposed to be good and perfect and serve the church and 
be loving and be kind. And he's just going to pick you and, uh, and find, find you. What that does is you get really good at being somebody's friend, but you're mm-hmm. not really good at showing interest. And men, men, I think men of all types, Christian or not, like they need to know that this is not going to go bad for them. Like no one wants to be rejected. They want to, mm-hmm. they need to know that you like them back. And a lot of times Christian women don't really know how to make that overt because mm-hmm. it goes against what they're taught to do. So I've had a lot of clients in the past who've told me that men, they've missed opportunities with men. And then later on, when they've had opportunities with these guys, these guys have straight up told them, yeah, I didn't even think that she likes me. I thought that wow. we were just friends. And if, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, if I had a nickel for every time one of my clients have said that, you know, and as bred, I talk about in the episode is bred just like a generation of women who are at a certain point in their life where they're like, okay, I trust and believe that this is possible for me, but is there something different that I'm missing? Is there something else that I can be considering? And so I talked about it in that episode because I just wanted, I wanted people to know you're not making this up in your head and you're not alone. And Mm -hmm. I fully feel and I believe, you know, this isn't me telling people to go out there and, you know, pop it open and do do like all this (laughs) other stuff. But I do believe that you can follow your your virtues and follow your your beliefs, but not be so rigid and not be so frigid and not shut down your femininity and your and your womanhood and um, all the things that make us full and rich people, you know as you go into this process. So hopefully I hit the points that you were hoping that I would. You really did hit all of them. And that episode was so liberating for me. You have no idea. After I listened to it, I called my friend and I was like, you have to go listen to this. It was so liberating. So I'm glad that you put it in a way that we can digest and understand. And it's so relatable. So yeah, you definitely hit all the points. I love avoidance and love addiction correlated with attachment styles. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. typically if you look at the bullet points for different attachment styles, they pretty much line up with um, insecure, fearful attachment lines up with love addiction and avoidant attachment styles for the most part line up with love avoidance. Um, Mm -hmm. Not the fearful avoidant because that's very, very, well, I guess it's still in the same category, but you know, I'm just talking to people who may be familiar with that. However, the reason why I do not teach under the um, under the the language of attachment styles purely mm-hmm. is because of the the feeling of loss of control and helplessness that one will feel when they do the things that I talk about in relationship. You can logically know that you shouldn't text somebody back, or you should. You can logically know that you can't and you shouldn't give the money or that you should stand up for yourself. But the amount of like fear or terror or um, sadness that overwhelms you, overwhelms your body um, is, is really intense. Mm -hmm. Um, And not enough people talk about that. They don't talk about that, that loss of self that comes when you're trying to make, make these changes. So that's why I use the language that I I understand the language that you use better. Actually, it makes more sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So 
Can you just explain to us um, what codependency is? I know you explained that it was the struggle with having boundaries, but how does this manifest related to in relation to love avoidance and love addiction? Because I believe that codependency is such a big issue. So what is codependency exactly? Yeah, well, because of how you phrased the question, I think it's going to probably be better for me to give maybe another example of it. Yes, please of it a little bit better. So, you know, for the most part, people who people who experience childhood trauma and childhood trauma, by the way, does not always just have to mean that you were physically abused or sexually abused, even though that definitely happens. But there are multiple different types of of emotional childhood abuse that leads to someone being codependent. And the way the reason that leads to people being codependent is because you learn as a child to base whether or not people will like you or tend to you or be proud of you based on how well you're performing for them, how well you're performing for them or taking care of them or taking care of your siblings or saying the right thing or dressing the right way, winning the, the sports competitions, um, dancing, whatever it might be for you and your background. You just learn that the way to survive and get through life. And again, survival does not have to mean I'm not going to eat and I'm not going to have a place to stay, though it may for some people. But it can just mean like, am I going to feel ousted or isolated in the family? Is mommy or daddy going to be mad at me? Are they going to rage at me? Are they going to stop talking to me? Are they going to tell me that I'm ungrateful? Are they going to shame me? Tell me I'm selfish. The way that I get around that is I do what they want. And, um, and I do what's suspected of me to do even before they ask a lot of times. Those little people become adults. And so we just learn that to be in connection and to be close to people We bring these codependent relationships where our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts are filtered through what we think and what we expect the other person wants us to be or what they want us to do or even what they ask us to do. And so it's automatic um, for for many of us. And I think sometimes it can cause a lot of confusion because I have noticed that most people can have certain places of their life that they're super like boundaried and super strong and super resilient. And then there's other places in their life that they just they're putty and Mm -hmm. it's just hard for them to 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 stay strong or to consider themselves. And so they go and they rely on, well, I know that I'm strong enough to do this because I'm strong here. And, you know, I don't let people run over me here and, you know, whatever, whatever. And they over rely on transferring that amount of certainty to whatever these relationships are that make them feel a little bit more weaker and a little bit more vulnerable because they're overlooking the fact that your codependency, the reason why you're probably codependent with this person is because they probably represent or are close to to triggers from your past that you may not even have words for um, that you might think you've already worked through. And so mm-hmm. we got to we got to look at that and we got to reevaluate it and, and work through it. So if someone listening is going like, okay, wow, that is me. I can see traits of love addiction that Sheena talked about in myself. Like I can see traits of love avoidance in myself and codependency. Is there hope for me? How can we begin the healing process and build healthy relationships with ourselves and with others? Yeah, well, there's absolutely hope because we can define it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think for me, the first breakthrough I had was walking into a room of other people who identified as love addicts and talked about it and learning that I wasn't alone. That just blew 
my world because so much of my life, I felt like I was alone, that I was the one who was just so insecure in my relationships and just foolish and stupid and the friend that couldn't get it right. And I, I should know better. And um, especially because I, I was I've always been fortunate to, enough to where I, I have had really healthy healthy people around me, um, but I was not as healthy as them. And so, so, and then to have language to identify it, because if I can point, if I can define the problem, that means that I can find the solution for it too. So first, I just want to reassure you that there, yes, there are solutions. Um, You're not the only one. As far as where to start, um, I actually have a free roadmap that Anyone can download if they go to blackgirlsheal.org slash roadmap. And um, one of the first things, and it breaks you, it takes you through the journey of working through love avoidance and working through love addiction and working through love deprivation, which we, we haven't focused on this episode, but it's a third type of intimacy disorder. And the first thing that I tell people to do is you need to separate yourself from your drug. I don't typically call it your drug. And I probably, now that I'm saying this out loud, you know, we were a hundred episodes in, I probably need to start identifying this more as your drug in the, in the future. But, you know, if someone is trying to break away from self-medicating with alcohol, if they're like, well, okay, I'm only going to drink twice on Tuesdays and once on Fridays, or they're like, well, I'm only going to do like half a, I'm going to do one wine glass instead of four. Um, you are still actively involved in your addiction because you're most likely not going to stop there. And the fact that it, this thing has so much power over you that you can't go a set period of time without it shows how underneath this, this thing's rule you are. And how much you needed to survive, um, which is a dangerous place for anything. And so I tell people all the things that you're using to self-medicate, we need to move that out the way so that we can replace it with some things that actually do serve you, that actually do nurture you, that actually do heal what you're hoping that this man or this woman or getting married or having 3.5 kids or whatever it is that you have in your fantasy is going to give you because, and I know you've heard me say this because, you know, you listen to the podcast, but wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. And if you have this insecurity when you're single, you're going to have them when you're married. And I remember, I remember early on when I was, um, you know, before I knew about love addiction and all that stuff, you know, single, you know, still very active in the church or, you know, just in general. And people would say that stuff to me. They would say, wherever you go, there you are. You'll still feel insecure. And these would be people who were married and partnered. And I'd be like, girl, if you don't get out of my face with that, like, <laughs> what <are> you just <laughs> say, <laughs> you, you going home to somebody, like, whatever, I'll be insecure with somebody else um, any day. But what I will tell you is the amount of pain that you feel whenever you are partnered with somebody and you still are battling the same thing, plus the triggers that having this other person and their own trauma brings into the relationship. It's like, man, maybe I do need to trade this in for Mm -hmm. for earlier stuff. And so just to go back to kind of like the, the, the myths and things that were told about dating and especially like in the church, which is like, well, you got to be perfectly fine and perfectly healthy. And then, then someone's going to come. And I just don't believe that. I feel like, you know, part of the human condition is to be in a constant state of healing. And it really doesn't number on those of us who've learned that we have to be good and earn, and we have to prove that we're things 
because when we remain single, then it's like, well, that just, this is proof that I'm not enough. This is proof that I'm disobedient. This is proof that there's something wrong with me. And that's why I'm still single when that has nothing to do with it. It's just a matter of time and energy and all of that. But in the meantime, in the meantime, or even not even in the meantime, because what that suggests is that your life starts when you meet somebody, which is just so much unlearning, Christine, that we have to do that just sets us up for so much disappointment and heartache and pain, but it's so ingrained in so many things that we do so that when people talk about it, it's like, okay, that makes sense, but it's still hard for me to grasp onto. But um, going back to what I was saying, you know, I think, I think broken people and unholy people and people who still have insecurities get married and find people at any time and at every time of their life. So the focus needs to be away from, okay, let me get to this place of higher, higher understanding and, you know, Zenhood and Jesus, Jesusness, you know, depending on whatever your, your background is. And then that's, what's going to earn me a partner versus Mm -hmm. I don't feel good right now. And I feel really lonely right now. And I feel so much pain and insecurity and fear and not enoughness in my life. And I don't want to feel this way anymore. And that's what your focus is. And as you start to heal that, you start to open doors to love in all respects. You know, I think a lot of times people who are single, we have idolized that married or romantic love is the ultimate part of love. And what happens is we have so many people and relationships and opportunities around us that are like throwing love and affection and care at us like we're swimming in it, but we can't receive it. Because we're like, well, that's nice. But what about that over there? You know, like that constant comparison. And what I would really love for people to be able to experience is to see how wealthy and love they are and not in like a cliche kind of way, but for them to actually like feel it in your gut, for you to actually like be able to taste it and touch it, you know? So that was a lot. (laughs) No, that was great. And the fact that you're living it out, despite even being a therapist as well, gives us so much hope, you know? So thank you for sharing that, Sheena. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was so good. I took so many notes and I can't wait to share them. So for those listening and they're thinking, I totally want to take courses and learn more about Black Girls Heal. Where can they find you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to find it as courses. So You know, I talk about my professional background just so that people know I wasn't, you know, just working at Target. And I was like, you, I know stuff about relationships and just started this platform, like so that Mm -hmm. people know, like I, I have some credentials. However, I'm not actively working as a therapist. So if anyone is like, hey, do you take insurance or any of that stuff? That is not how I help people. Mm -hmm. Now I help people through my courses, through books, through workshops, through stuff like that. So um, we have two ways that we help women at Black Girls Heal. The first one is our smaller membership and it's called the Healed and Loved Woman Membership. And what I do is every month I have a monthly workshop that talks about a different component of working on your love worthiness. So uh, we didn't get into it today, but um, I developed a framework called the Healed and Love Woman that helps women go from being love addicted to love balanced, to go from being love, love avoidant to love available and love deprived to actually feeling love worthy. And the common thread in all of in all of your relationships and in, in most things is 
what you're seeing is a mirror about you, how you, how you feel about yourself. Like you only allow things in your life to continue to happen. If you feel like secretly you're deserving of it, or if the other person is more important than you or their feelings are more important. And so the goal is to get your love worthiness up. It's not to put them down. It's not to try to hate them and get so mad at them that finally you're able to put up boundaries so that you get your self-love quotient up. So in the Heal the Love Woman membership, I focus on helping women every month with a different theme. Let's look at building our love worthiness. And so we've talked about finding and using your voice. This month, we're doing challenges around loving and nurturing your inner child. Um, and there'll be a different one the next month. And so that's our smaller program is more um, it's better suited for people who um, might find themselves to be really busy, um, but they know that they want to get started or they want something smaller to start with. Mm-hmm. And so the second program that we have is our recovery school coaching program. And so this is the big mamma jamma. Um, and it ranges between four to six months. Um, I kind of go back and forth between the amount of time that the program ranges just as I play with how much support to give. But this is where we take a deep dive into actively unlearning your patterns of love addiction, love avoidance, and love deprivation. We look at the roots that this starts with, and then we take dedicated time looking at what this looks like in your family relationships and your friendships and your romantic partnerships and also with yourself. And so um, I have different cohorts that open throughout the year. So you can learn about both of those by going to blackgirlsheal.org. And um, at the top, I think it says work with us and just Mm -hmm. learning from there. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll share all that in the notes as well. And before you leave today, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that I haven't touched on? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I love the fact that, okay, this is, this is going to be a little bit self-serving, but it is just really encouraging to hear you talk about love addiction and love avoidance with language that is uh, familiar. Like, I feel like words that like codependency have been around for decades, right? So it's just in in our normal everyday vernacular. And one of my biggest fears when I started this work a few years ago was like, no one knows about love addiction. Even when I heard about love addiction, I was like, what is that? Like, you can't be addicted to love. And I was like, that's BS. Like, I'm not going to cuss here because I know we got saints listening. But (laughs) like, I was like, that's BS and it doesn't exist. And then lo and behold, like I was actively like knocking all those things out. And so I had a lot of fear when it came to talking about it. But like to hear that, like there are women who are getting healed from by talking about it and getting free is just it, it means so much. So I just I want to say thank you to you for for offering to use your platform to talk about it. And I want to say thank you to you and to anybody else who's listening that is um, actively sharing your struggles with your friends, because I think what really, what really gets most of us is that we feel, we do feel like we're the only one and we feel like it's never going to get better. And that leads us to just settling. It's like, well, if there is something wrong with me and if there's, if it's my judgment that's off, then maybe this person that's giving off all these red flags or this codependent relationship that I have with my employer or my boss, which I've been there, you know, you can Mm -hmm. be love, love addicted, in so many areas of your life, you just stay there. But 
I just want women to know, I want black women to know that what might be common does not mean that it's normal. What may, what we may have seen happen with our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunts, or even our sisters does not have to be our narrative. We are just as deserving of ease, of peace, of being relaxed, of not having to be on guard, of being cherished and seen and adored and not feeling like we always have to fight for it. And I just want women to know that that is available for them. And we start by learning how to do this in a different way. So I just mm-hmm. want to say thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks to you. Like this has really changed my life and I'm happy that others are going to hear this and hope the courses. And it was so liberating also when you shared that um, we don't have to be in this Zen or super Jesus-y mindset for us to receive love and give love. Like it's a healing is a process. So thank you for shedding a light on that as well. And thanks for coming on. And yeah, thank you so much, Sheena. (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Please be sure to leave us a review. That will be very beneficial. It will help put this podcast on the map so others can find it. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Africans Heal. Check out our website at africansheal.com. Share this episode with a friend and be sure to tune in next week. You do not want to miss it.